let's, let's get going. We're going to be in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, if you want to turn there. Okay, so the Bible is explicitly clear that, that our moral failures and our, um, our hang-ups, anger, bitterness, rage, your addictions, in, anything of that sort, um, the, the reason you struggle with those so bad isn't due to a lack of effort, but it's due because you have not seen in the clarity that you need to see the infinitely beautiful God. You have not seen an infinitely loving God. You have distorted a picture of God, and the Bible is clear that this is why you still have hang-ups, that, that if you're frustrated because you're not growing, and you're frustrated that you still do the same things, and you're frustrated that you have um, just an instability in your relationship with God, it's because you haven't seen God as he is. And I, and I don't say that like, oh, I, I have seen God. I mean, the Bible is also clear that, that it's something that you grow in as you grow into your relationship with Christ, that he um, reveals himself in more and more clarity. And so t- tonight, I just, we need to see God as he really is. And, and if you haven't seen God as he really is, when, when people say that he's good or people say that he's loving or people say that he's full of mercy or people say that um, he has power to transform you, if he has, he has power to, to redeem, he has power to restore, he has power to, to take you out of whatever you're dealing with, to completely remove um, all the shame that you carry, all the filth that you carry from your life, that when you hear those things, but you don't actually experience it yourself, you hear them second-handedly. They're, they're weightless. I mean, in your life, those are weightless ideas. If you've only heard a preacher say them or you heard your best friend say them, those remain weightless ideas that will never bring the type of relationship God wants to have with you. So, uh, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is going to say it like this. So, um, you don't got to flip there. I'm just going to read to you. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their eyes dull, their, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, they might understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So do you, you kind of see that, that, that God just told Isaiah, this is, this is I, right after Isaiah was commissioned to go out and, and um, to be a prophet. So uh, he goes out, and God immediately tells him that, that this people's problems is that they cannot see God as he is, and they cannot hear God as he is. And if they did, they would turn. They, they did, they would turn, and what does God promise? That when they turn and they experience God as he really is, they're healed. That, that you even see this earlier on in, um, in when Isaiah encounters God, that he, it says that um, his iniquity, iniquity was taken away and that his sin was atoned for. And why is that? Read a, a few verses up. Because his eyes saw the Lord. He knew who God was, and God went down and restored him. God, God took a burning coal off the altar and touched his mouth and made him a brand new man. So uh, Jesus, when you get into the life of Jesus, um, one of the first things that Jesus says about himself and also John says about Jesus is that his ministry was to explain the Father, that his ministry was to show us who the Father is. So you see all these pictures in the gospel of Jesus doing all these things, healing people or, um, I mean, just giving people unbelievable amount of mercy and love. You see that, and Jesus is saying, I'm trying to show you a picture of who the Father is. And most clearly that is seen in the cross, that you see in the cross of Jesus Christ that God loves, he, his love for sinners is, is beyond measure. It is infinite. And his, his just ways, infinite. His hatred for sin, infinite. But his love for you, his love to adopt you and to make you his own, to, to bring you into his family, is infinite. His desire for you, infinite. He, he yearns for you. 
I mean, he yearns for you. Um, let, let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll jump into the text. Father, I thank you so much, God, just for your infinite love. God, I thank you for your, your infinite power to redeem and to restore. Father, I thank you that you yearn after us. God, you are um, all that we need. Father, you are all that we need, and God, you're all that we need to see. Father, we need to see you in clarity. Father, we need to know you in clarity. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself tonight. Father, I pray that, that you would open eyes and ears and hearts to the beauty that is you. God, I pray that just the foundational things that, that we have to know are true about you, Father, I pray that you would help us believe those things. God, and I pray this all in the, in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so text time. I gotta flip there. All right, so um, we're just going to read this through, and then we're just going to go back through it and take a little text at a time. And for some of y'all, you're just like, oh, no, I've heard him do this before, and it takes hours. I'm not going to take hours. Mary told me not to take, any, not to take longer than 30 minutes, so I'm going to try to get through with this real quick. Um, let's just read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the first thing you've got to see about, about how Peter views and sees God um, is it, kind of what he just says in the text, that this, this text is sandwiched in worship that this text both starts with worship and it, and it ends with worship, that there's not a single command. In those first, this is really his first words in the letters. He, he introduces himself, um, kind of says the purpose of the letter, but his very first uh, words in this letter is, is praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it ends, um, you will, if, if you believe these things, you see these things are true, you will walk in joy. You will walk in love for Jesus. You will walk in belief in Jesus. You will walk in a relationship that's full of stability because of how you see God, how this text views God, how um, all the New Testament authors, how they view and see God. So uh, the very first, very first phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship. He, he, Peter is worshiping. This isn't this text is, is not written primarily so you know certain facts, although that's true and that's good. This text is primarily written so you worship. And if you don't see God as, as he is, you, you will not worship him for who he is. You, you will not even be able to worship him for who he is. Your worship form is going to be fickle. But, but God's relationship that he desires for you is joy-soaked. It is love-soaked, belief-soaked, confidence in this God, love for this God, faith in this God, faith in Jesus Christ, love for him because of who he is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, um, it, even inside this, this, this opening line, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and you can't really miss what he's saying there. I mean, that's a very important line that, that Jesus, while he was on earth, 
that he walked with his father in intimacy and in power, and and he walked in, in freedom, and he walked in all these ways, and he says that the same intimacy that Jesus had with the father, the same, I mean, Jesus never, I guarantee you, A, because he never sinned, but Jesus would have never felt shame because he knows the Father has removed that far from him. He, he would have never felt filth, guilt. He wouldn't have felt, felt any of that. And so that same intimacy, that same freedom from, from, from those feelings, that same uh, freedom from guilt and shame is to be ours. That you, say, you see that blessed be the God and Father. He describes Jesus as having both a God and the Father and, and then the same person. But what we got to get, and I think a lot of us, and maybe it's just the circles I run in, but I think a lot of us, we get God. We get God is uh, infinitely perfect. He is, um, his standard of perfection is infinite, that he is unapproachable light. He is, um, I mean, consuming fire. And, and when I say those things, I think Terrell might have covered this a couple of weeks ago, but um, something that Terrell and I actually talked about, I guess it was two or three weeks ago when we were just driving to DTS, is that when, when the Bible calls God unapproachable light, or a consuming fire, you got to get your, your little crappy campfire out of your head. Get that out of your head. That's not, get the, your fireplace out of your head. Unapproachable, like consuming fire. Get SFA's little bonfire, a little, I mean, even if they filled up that entire field with wood, get that out of your head. This is not, not who God is. When Paul sees Christ, he's, he, when he talks to King Agrippa about in Acts, he said he's brighter than the noonday sun. And, and that was a, Christ, or Paul saw a limited version of Christ in his glory. So if, if Paul describes Christ as being brighter than the sun, and you can't even look at the sun. I mean, imagine, imagine his infinite standard of perfection. I, you can see why Isaiah sees him and falls down on his face as if dead. You see why John sees the glorified Christ in Revelation, falls down on his face as if dead. You see that that all these commands in Scripture to fear God, you, you can kind of see that when you start to understand who God, I mean, even science talks about whoever caused all of this has to be infinite in its energy, has to be infinite in its power, has to be infinite in its resources. I mean, that is, even science has understood that, okay, if there is a God, he is to be feared. He is incredibly terrifying. We, we cannot even understand him, right? But you can't, if you only get that picture of him, you haven't seen God as he is. You haven't really understood who this God is. It's God and Father. And, and if you try to live to appease that God through your moral obedience, you actually have any, you're, you're lessening his holiness. Because if you can earn God through your moral obedience and that's in your fear of him, it's totally based on, okay, well, I, today I performed well, so I'm good with God. Today I didn't perform well, so I need to be terrified of his judgment. You haven't actually seen God. You're making his holiness even less than it should be. Because now you can attain it through your good works. And, and God in Scripture says that even on your best day, even the best men, whoever, Mother Teresa, who, whoever you think in your mind right now who has exceeded in moral obedience, you, Scripture says that if they approach God and said, look what I've done, let me into heaven, God will say, get out of my throne room, you're filthy, you're filthy rags in front of me, which is Isaiah, I think 64, actually means dirty tampons, dirty menstrual rags. That's how God sees it. And that's, Maybe that's provocative, maybe that's graphic. This is the words of Scripture. So um, if, if you haven't seen God as a father, though, you haven't grasped like this, it's this kindness and severity, as, as Paul says in Romans, that there's this God who is a father. And this is where I think that, that Peter's going with this, that um, God is his father. It's a recurring theme throughout all the, book of, all the book of Peter, that he is this father, that he is this father. 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so there's a lot there, but when it says born again, that is actually a Greek f- phrase that means that he w- we are born anew, which is only ever used um, as describing a father and his role with his son. So this idea of God being a father is actually sets up this entire, this entire chapter is God is a father, that, that his great mercy has caused us, uh, has caused him to adopt us. Are you, you kind of getting that? And it says that um, born again to a living, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that born again, it's also, it's not just that he, he's adopted us, it's that in the way he's adopted us is insane, that um, your shame that you've cared, or your sin, your moral failure from last night or last week or you're in, in a week from now or three years ago or 15 years ago, wh- whatever your uh, shame is, because you were born again, that is no longer you. And it says that it happened through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So um, when you read about Jesus dying, replace Jesus' death with whatever, you, like your shame. So in Isaiah, it says that, uh, that it pleased the Lord to crush the Messiah. So I can replace that little Messiah and put my shame in there because that's what Jesus died to kill. So it, my shame is dead as Jesus died, so my shame is. So if, did Jesus die fully and totally and completely and utterly? So my shame is dead completely, totally, utterly, forever. My filth, completely done away with. The, the, the sting of death, completely done away with. Did Jesus die? Was he fully murdered, completely dead? So the power of sin was, was broken. The power of sin, its dominion over me, dead. So this is a huge thing that if you're born anew, it's not this that you got adopted. It's that now you got adopted, but now you got adopted as someone who's never sinned. That's how God sees you, that you've never sinned, that, that God's only view towards you is mercy, is love, is grace. That, that's what 1 Thessalonians says that for the children of God, they are no longer appointed to suffer wrath, meaning that in the death of Jesus all of God's wrath was poured out onto him. So now the only thing God sees us through, the lens that, that the Father sees us through, is mercy. There is no more wrath for us. There is no more, um, well, I'm, I might snap. If he does that one more time, I'm going to snap. That, that's not the Father. The Father's full of patience and love, and he rejoices with his children. Have you read any of the Psalms? I mean, have you seen this God? Like, is this the God that, that you relate to? You know what I mean? Is this the God that, that you see? And, and it says that according to his great mercy. So the gospel wasn't that a begrudging act of God. You've got to get that out of your head, that, that God wasn't like, well, I guess I'll save him. Or like when you go sin and then you try to run back to God and, and, and your view of God is, well, I guess I'll forgive you. That is not... Peter is worshiping here because of, of who God is at his nature, that the, the, the gospel was an overflow of God's great mercy. This is how Peter saw God, that he was worshiping God for who he was, how he actually saw God, that God was full of mercy, full of love, full of compassion, and him destroying all our enemies in the cross, and him giving us new life, and him adopting us into his family, and him working all things for our good. All the promises of Scripture that, are gonna, are come, that come true because of Christ, this was an overflow of how God sees you. That you, you have even, in, okay, if you read Genesis 1 through 3, you have Adam and Eve, you have the fall, they eat the fruit, um, then they get kicked out of the garden, right? Okay, so if, if you really read that story, 
in the same day that Adam gives, or that God gives Adam both his, his wife, right, and, um, and he tells him not to eat the fruit of the, fruit of the tree, and that same exact day, it says that he's outside of the garden, watering the ground, giving him gold, giving him all these jewels outside of the ground, and what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to give you this gift, Eve, who I know through her, um, and through yourself, you're going to bring about this fall, and I'm going to have to kick you out, and so even in that, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare this outside world outside of the garden. I'm going to soften the blow. This is a God who follows you around and is good, good to you. David says in Psalm 139, he says that, um, that the Lord encloses him behind him before, and his hand takes hold of him. This is an intimate God who sees your life in more clarity than you could ever imagine. If you read uh, some old dead preachers, really good, like Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon wrote a poem about how even um, the trajectory of dust is controlled by God, that he knows your life more so than you know your life. He, he not only knows your life, he's in tomorrow talking to you. Do you get that? God is outside of time? I mean, that is an insane thing. That this is a God who his love for you outreaches the heavens, is what David says. I don't even know what that means, outreaches the heavens. I mean, heavens are, are, if you look at the universe, it's always expanding. So what does that say about the nature and character of God's mercy and love towards those who are in Jesus Christ? That he sees you with compassion. He sees you with an unbelievable amount of patience. I had a, when I was in fifth grade, I had um, a teacher, and man, she was the worst. She was, oh, she makes me want to say bad words. She was, she was the meanest, man, I'm thinking of the show Recess. What's that? Y'all know the principal on, on, on Recess, the show Recess? She's like, eh, and she's like real big, has these big glasses, she has red hair. This was my teacher, and I'm not going to say her name, but she was the meanest teacher ever. I had, every single day had problems with her. I, I, I got into a, tr- a lot of trouble growing up. I, had, I was a problem child. And so fifth grade, though, exponentially worse. And my, she just did not like me. Every single day, she scrutinized every single thing I did. Um, there was one time I, we, we did some type of, we did some homework, and I wrote my name in pencil and, you know, did your heading or whatever. And she, we, we turned them in, and she turned them, she put all the papers back out to everyone who, who was there that day. And uh, she was like, Isaac, she was like, I can't see your name. So you're going to sign your name until I can see your name, and then we'll just, we'll turn all the papers in again. And I, it made me so mad, so I got a marker, and I wrote Isaac in giant letters, and I held it up, and I was like, is that good enough? She was like, I'm calling your parents. I was like, whatever. So, <laughs> and I feel like that, that is how, if we are honest with yourself, in the middle of your sin, is that how you view God? Because I think it is. I mean, I think why you, you remain largely untransformed, because that's what God wants for your life, is because you have this view of God that's like that. I, I, over this last Christmas break, I watched uh, 30 for 30, ESPN 30 for 30, and it was over um, this quarterback. He was supposed to be, I mean, just his dad was an NFL training whatever, and so, I mean, this, this, this kid grows up underneath this dad who's been in the NFL, who's trained NFL athletes. Um, this kid grows, I mean, um, he said at like the age of 12, he's running 10 miles a day. What? And it, he never, he said he n- never had McDonald's until he snuck out in high school. I mean, this, this kid was, was going to be unbelievably um, 
crazy talent. I mean, this is probably future Hall of Famer. He gets, I mean, he's getting pro attention while he's in high school. He goes to USC, but when he gets to USC, all the, all the pressure on him just makes him start to crack, and he gets into these really hard drugs, and so he starts smoking weed, gets into cocaine, then gets into harder drugs like heroin, so he get, ends up getting drafted, still first-round draft pick, even though in high school he's like, or in college he was a cokehead, which is crazy. So he ends up getting drafted, goes to the Raiders, um, is doing heroin all the time, right? And so eventually he blows all of his money. He's a homeless person pretty much, buying heroin um, in, in doing it, like cooking meth and stuff in one of his friend's garages. I mean, just in a dark place, and he couldn't get out of it. I mean, he was addicted to heroin in a very, very unbelievably dark place. And so he, he tries to go to rehab. His, his dad is, it tries to send him to rehab. Doesn't, doesn't work. Tries to send him to rehab again. Doesn't work. Um, tries to send him to rehab again. Doesn't work. Keeps failing, keeps failing, keeps failing. And his dad finally, hadn't seen him in a while, finally just says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do my son's rehab. So he learns kind of how to, how to do it. And so he brings his son to his house and, and does rehab at his house. And the son was telling the story, and he said he, w- he would go delusional and, and just start seeing things and hallucinate. And, and, he, and he said he started hallucinating, but he started to come back too. And he was laying on the floor in the kitchen. He started making out he's in the kitchen, but there's like vomit everywhere. Like he's been throwing up, he's gotten really sick. And he, and he can feel it all over himself, and he's laying on the floor, and he's just moaning. He can feel it, like, in his, in his hair. And all of a sudden, he starts to see that he's laying in somebody's, like, somebody's holding him from behind. And, and he sees that he threw up all over this person. And all of a sudden, he can hear his dad's voice saying, I love you, son. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And he said he was just kissing his head, like, rocking him and hugging him from back. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is who God is, that while we're at our worst, God is not saying, get better than you come to me. He's saying, I will work this out. We will get through this. I will set you free from this bondage. I will set you free from these addictions. I will set you free from shame, from guilt. Just have patience and keep pushing on, and I will transform your life. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is who the Father is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it makes Peter worship. That he makes Peter, and I love that the the rock of our, you know, the rock of our faith, one of the, our founding fathers, this is how he sees God. I need mercy. I love that there's such humility in Christianity that the very best of us, I need mercy and I'm in need of love. I, I love that. That makes me free to admit where I am. It makes me free just to discuss where I am and um, confess to brothers and seek help. So let's keep going. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born anew to a hope that is alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, um, man, you, you got to see this too. So, he, he's born, you're born again to a living hope, to a hope that is alive. And so you're going to start to see here in the next few verses that everything that God brings about is life and perfection and beauty and it's glorious that um, you're about to see that it, it never perishes, it never fades, it's never defiled, that it only ever in, increases um, forever in, in joy and in, and in glory. This is everything God does. So when it says you're born again to a living hope, to a hope that is alive, it's a hope that continually grows. Like if, if you were to have a kid, it, you know, it's an infant and it becomes a toddler and then it grows, so is your hope. That your hope in Christ too is not weak like your hope in other things, like if, if you hope to make an A on some test tomorrow, that's weak, loaded with insecurity. You don't know if it'll happen. Maybe it happens. Maybe it won't. You can maybe do some things to ensure that. If you hope to get some job after you graduate, maybe happen, maybe won't. It's weak. But hope in Christ, it is a sure hope, never to fail. Is, is Christ's 
um, always trustworthy, then so is your hope. Is Christ immortal? So is your hope. Does Christ always come through? So will this hope. Will your, your hope in other things fail you? Yes, probably. Maybe not, but yes, probably. Right? And so you're going to get into a compare. Peter's going to start talking about, okay, blessed is this, this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born anew. Blessed is him. And now he's going to start describing him. And, and it is unbelievable. If you start to see God like this, you start to see why, why these men like Peter and Paul and these apostles can be murdered for their faith, why they give up such uh, great things to pursue this God. Why, while Paul in Philippians says, I just want to lay hold of that which has taken hold of me, that, that in Corinthians he says, the love of Christ compels us, that he, he can't even control himself because of Christ is so beautiful. You start to see why they live like that because they've seen God as he is. They've seen him as he is. Has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So this imperishable, undefiled, unfading, all three of those words are only ever used to describe either divine things or God himself, right? So all the aspects of, of who God is, those are going to be the same, those are the same way you describe your, your inheritance, right? So um, Peter also has this, if, if you read through here, you know what, I've made some, I'm just going to read them, read them for you. You don't got to, I'm going to move too fast for you to follow along really, so. All right, so um, this imperishable, Peter's going to continually start to compare these things that are perishable with these things that are imperishable. Um, verse verse. Uh, 118, he says, we were not ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold, most valuable things that, that, that through any generation, through, through um, any cultural context, silver or gold has always been treasured. As, as valuable as those are, Peter says those are perishable compared to, to Jesus Christ. He is imperishable. We are ransomed with his precious blood, right? Uh, verse, verse 23, we weren't born uh, with perishable seed, but imperishable. We are now immortal to, to only experience heaven forever. Um, verse 24, I'm just going to read this one. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. He's saying that all of us in here, we're all going to die. We perish. We're nothing. Christ, he always lives. That, that all the glory, fame, anything good we could ever attain dies, goes away. Christ never. Christ is imperishable. He is infinitely beautiful. Everything else you can attain, gone, fleeting, fickle, it's, it's done with. Christ, imperishable, right? Um, Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it describes Christ as precious, chosen, that he never disappoints. And it even describes the doom of others as they finally get what they attain, something that breaks and is futile and it never satisfies. Um, chapter 3, verse 3 and 5, beauty is, is, oh, I love, you know, let's just read this one. Your adornment must not be merely, he's talking to women, your adornment mu must not be merely external, braiding braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So all the beauty you could ever have, all the beauty you could ever have. 20 years, it's gone. It's nothing in 20 years. It's, it's already starting to fade. So you, you finding all of your identity, you finding your security, you chasing after that, fails you. It's done with it. It doesn't last. Christ, always beautiful, always satisfies, always a sure foundation. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6, the gospel is preached to replace um, orgies, drunkenness, debauchery with real, imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading substance. That's the reason the gospel is preached, to bring dead people back to life, but not merely just to, so they, they can be forgiven, but so they have a better inheritance than what they were doing before, so they have a better life than what they were living in before. Um, chapter, chapter 4, uh, 14, let's just read that one too. If you are reviled in the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Okay, so the reason you, you, you are glorifying God when you are um, being made fun of or when you are experiencing any type of hardship is because what you're saying to the world is Christ, is I, what I get in my allegiance to Christ is better than what you could give me in your acceptance. So what's going on? Your inheritance? He's saying that Christ is everything this world's not. Why live for this world if Christ is that much better? And, and even when he was talking, to, when he says, uh, do not let your, your adornment be merely external, he's, he's saying that, yes, these things are they're not all bad. That, that some of them are, are good, some of them, um, I'm glad you have them, but Christ and your inheritance is so much better that why would you try to put your eyes and your hands on that? Why would you chase those things when Christ is better? And he's trying to get your mind around the fact that, that your Christian sanctification, that you becoming more like Christ, isn't about you just trying to kill sin. That, that your Christian sanctification is about you seeing Christ as he is. That you see the living Christ as beautiful and glorious and satisfying as he is. And that becomes the fuel for your pursuing of him. So I read my Bible not because I need to be a good Christian. I read my Bible because I want to hear the words of the living Christ. I want to hear him tell me he loves me. I want to hear him um, tell me wonderful things. I want to hear him strengthen me. I want to hear him tell him that he's always with me and he's never going to leave me. I want to hear him tell me those things. So uh, me praying isn't about, oh, I need to pray to be a good Christian. I need to pray to be devout. It's about me praying because I get to come into the presence of the living Christ, right? And so the way that you see Christ, and there's actually a 2 Corinthians 3.18 is going to say this. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he's saying that, that your sanctification you being changed from one degree of glory for the next is seeing Christ as he really is. That when you see Christ as he really is, and the Bible is explicitly clear when it says this, that no man, no man, if you see Christ, no man as he really is, no man could ever say, nah, I'm good. Nah, not for me. That, that you were made to gaze on him. You are made to see him. So when you see Christ as he really is, when a man sees Christ, he falls on his knees and says, this is the only thing I want. He becomes obsessive. He becomes obsessive. You want to know why, why men have addictions? And I'm just not talking about pornography. I mean, I think of like, uh, you know, heroin, drugs, whatever. Whatever you could be addicted to, you're addicted to the substance. But, but think about just like the shadow that this is casting, that you would give everything you have to obtain this. So if, if you know any drug addicts, which I don't know if any of y'all do, they would sell or do anything just to get that substance. This is what Peter's trying to shape in our mind is this is what Christian growth is like because God is beautiful and we got to see him like this. So in the way that, that, that Peter sees this, is it takes care of both our justification, our right standing with God, and our sanctification. So um, God justifies, right, that loving God who holds me. When, when I'm in sin, he says, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this, keep pressing on, we're going to get through this. And both my pursuit of God to actually get up and, and get through it. 
because I want to know him more. Not because I need to please him or not because, or appease him, not please him. I do want to please him. Not because any of those things, but because I just want to see him as he is. I want to know him because I know he tastes better than anything else ever could. I, I know that he tastes better than anything else ever could. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So when Jesus says um, in the Gospels that, that why build up treasure on earth where moth and rust um, and thieves break in to steal, like uh, the moth and rust destroy the things and thieves can break in to steal, but lay up treasure in heaven where none of, that thing, none of those things happen. This is, this is what's going on here, that this, your inheritance that is reserved in heaven, no one could possibly break into the kingdom of God. You understand that? That it is perfectly, perfectly secure. That, and not only is it not perishable, not only is it not undefi- undefiled, which is, um, it's, that, that word actually has a very derogatory meaning, meaning it's like full of sin, that everything humans touch, we defile. If you read through Levitical law, if you read through any of those things, anytime we touch things, it's like we gotta go clean it. And God's saying that we touch things and we make them dirty because we are dirty, right? But he's saying this place doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have the, the stain of, of sin, that it's un- unstained with sin, it's unstained, it's never fading, that it only ever increases, increases in goodness. This place is locked up for you in heaven. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed. So um, just like that is kept in heaven, you are kept for it in heaven, that you are protected by the power of God through faith, though. And so God's tool in protecting you is to enlighten your eyes to the beauty of Christ and, and to make you confident in him, to submit your life to him and to follow him, that this is what he uses to protect you. But, but it says for salvation ready to be re- revealed, right? So it's not that this salvation a- appears immediately. It's that, that this faith enlightens my heart to his beauty and, and enlightens my heart to, to his glory, that, that it empowers me to, to p- keep pursuing him even though I'm not going to get it now. I'm not going to get it now, that that Christ is either going to come back or I'm going to die. But either way, it's not going to happen until one of those two things happen. And so this, this faith empowers me to live a life of pursuit of it, and not just pursuit, but a pursuit that's drenched in, in joy, that sustains through sorrow. It's, it's a pursuit that's drenched in, um, in, in a joy that's only described as inexpressible and full of glory. Like, this is the power of faith that it sustains, that it makes you fall in love with Christ, and your love with Christ is, people start to make fun of you, and you're like, dude, what is that? Like, I, I, I don't care. Like, I'd rather have Christ over that any day, right? Like, this deep, abiding relationship comes through faith and seeing God as he really is. This unbelievably glorious, this unbelievably terrifying, but unbelievably loving God who is working all things for my good. By who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I I wish that Peter builds arguments for a reason. Like There's uh, a reason that he has listed all these things. So verse 3 through um, th- three and four, right, right, before, right before five and six where it starts to talk about us going through trials, that's supposed to be the lens that we see trials through, right? So you've got to get three and four before you can get to, to sorrowing and suffering being for our good. So if you don't get three and four, 
if you don't actually breathe in who God is and experience who God is, these trials and these sufferings are going to just push you around, and, and your footing on who God is is just going to be thrown around. It's going to, your idea of who God is, it will be weightless. Instead of, trans, instead of empowering to stand in the midst of trial, you're going to be thrown around until you can see that God is this loving Father who's working all things through my good. And it even says that, um, though now, if necessary, if necessary, it, it means that God's not, things don't happen to you on, on accident. Bad things, God's not neglectful. God's not neglectful. That, that it only happens if necessary. That God, through his loving hands, that's the only, the only thing that, that's the, the only thing that's going to um, allow you to sit there in that knowing that you're in his loving hands and that all those trials come through those hands, through those, those powerful, huge fingers, and, and you're sitting in his love, knowing that he sustains, knowing that he's good, right? And if you don't have that, the first time trial happens to you, the first time um, bad circumstance, I mean, even your moral failure, you're, you're going to immediately start questioning the love of God. You're going to immediately start questioning those things, and you're not going to have a firm footing. So you've got to get, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ died and rose again. Blessed be God for those reasons. Okay. Um, in, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which, perishes, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's going on here is, is, is he says that your life now, that, that God sees your life now as this, as it really is, as just a vapor, that you breathe it out on, on a cold day and it's gone, right? That, that is our life now. And God says it's more important to him what happens in the last day than what happens now. And so he uses this now to bring forth a faith that will actually be, pr- imagine Jesus Christ praising you for your faith. Like, can, can you imagine, the Bible, Bible says we are inherently wicked. The only reason we ever um, can come to Christ is because Christ came to us first. He's starting to enlighten our hearts, and then he gives us faith, right? So God has done everything here. You look at the entire passage, we have done nothing so far. We are the only, we are passive agents of receiving mercy, of receiving love, of receiving new birth, receiving all these amazing promises. We are passive agents, meaning God has done all this for us. And even though God has done all this for us, He's allowing these trials to come in and to shape us and to mold us, mold our confidence and belief and love and joy in who he is. And in doing so, in doing all that, he then is going to praise us. I mean, that, that's, that's dumb. God does a lot of irrational things in Scripture. I mean, sometimes it just blows my mind, but this is crazy that in the last day that I'm going, you are going to receive praise from the living Christ. You see God's prerogative here? God's prerogative is your holiness, it's not that you get everything in this life. And if you actually read the scripture, it's saying that if you were to get everything in this life, you were to get the beauty you want, you were to get the fame you want, you were to get um, the job you want, the marriage you want, whatever, if you were to get all those things, that might be God's wrath. Because it's not molding a faith that's going to be praised in that last day. That's not molding those things. So this is God's mercy that brings on trials. So God's mercy is actually trials that for those who are deeply loved by God, they're going to experience pain. Mercy. For those who are not in mercy, they might get everything that they dreamed of. His wrath. Because in the last day, those things will mean nothing. They will mean absolutely nothing. And this is what Peter's trying to, trying to shape, that these things mean nothing right now anyways because they're so fleeting. Imagine beauty being here now and gone in 20 years. What is that? 
20 years? You know, who knows how long the earth's been here? And 20 years is nothing but Christ forever. His acceptance of me, his love for me forever. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so he's saying if you actually catch all this, if you actually catch who God is and what he has done in Christ, your relationship with him starts to look like this. And, and, and it's funny that he says this right after trials. It's funny that, that he says God's going to bring about trials. Um, it's mercy. It's love. Be rooted in who he is and confidence in who he is so that you can stand in those trials with joy. But then he says right after trials, you will love him and you believe in him and you will be filled with joy, right? Joy that only could, I mean, he talks about this joy that's um, inexpressible and filled with glory. The only reason that joy can be inexpressible and filled with glory is because it is a reflective of what you find your joy in. So Christ, inexpressible, um, full of glory, so our joy on him is too. That's, that's crazy, but um, look, look at the product of, of a real deep relationship with Christ. Not instability, not, oh, dang it, I messed up again. Like, man, I'm just going to walk around in sorrow all day. It, it's almost a weird thing that we almost need the accuser in our life because when the accuser comes at us and he starts to accuse me, I celebrate the cross, that the, the death of Christ is, is not um, something that I kind of just like, oh, that's kind of weird, and then I believe, and then I kind of move on. It is my celebration that in the death of Christ, I see how much God loves me. In the death of Christ, I see how much he's for me. In the death of Christ, I'm a new creation. When Christ died, he defeated all of my enemies. In the death of Christ, he loves me, and I know he does, and, he, and he's full of mercy towards me. And when you go through trials, it has a way of breaking your hands off of things of this world to put your hands fully on him, right? And, and J.I. Packer, one of my one of my favorite, if you read the ESV Bible in here, he was the general editor on the ESV Bible. It's, uh, uh, I'm actually not using the ESV, but um, he's one of my favorite guys. And, and what he says is, he says that sometimes God breaks the fingers of his children, so he'll take it, take it off of things of this world and put it on the things of him because he loves you. And, and honestly, going through that, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, it doesn't feel like you just broke my fingers. It felt like you hit me with a sledgehammer in the face. Like, that's how it feels when God breaks your fingers off things of this world. But he does it because he knows that in doing so, he's putting your hands on things more valuable, the things that last longer. There's, I'm going to say one quick story and then we'll get out of here. Um, one, of, uh, one of my favorite guys to listen to he was telling, he was talking about, um, he took his, his wife and his little girl on vacation and to a lake house. And so they're driving to the lake house, and he puts his hand on his daughter's leg just to, like, talk to her or whatever. And so he puts his hand, and he feels like this, this spider bite or something on, on her leg. And he kind of looks back, and he looks at it, and uh, he, it's just swollen up. He says it's just disgusting looking, so they're kind of worried about it. They're like, uh, I might need to go to the doctor. So by the time they get to the lake house, this thing is, like, puffed up even more, and he's like, we need to go to the emergency room. So they go to the emergency room. And for some reason, I can't remember why, but they can't do, they have to lance it, and they can't do anesthetic. So what he has to do is he has to pin his daughter down. And, and whatever it is, I can't, I can't remember what, what happened to her. I think it was like 
um, a spider bite mixed with a staph infection or something. Um, if it got any worse, they could have, m- might have had to, because she was such a small girl, she was like two or three, they might have had to amputate her leg. So extremely important situation. So he has to pin her down, like sit on her, pin her leg down so she doesn't move and let the, the doctor just lance it, right? But it's because he loved her that he allowed her to go through that. Right? It's because he loved her that he allowed her to go through that. And so you've got to see God as this, as this God who loves you, this God who is a, is a father, who would, he who did not spare his own son, what else would he not give for you? What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who should be against us? Read Romans 8, it's a phenomenal passage, but I mean, that's, that's crazy. If God crushed his son to get me reconciliation with him, what else would he not give for me? So right now, these, the trials that you're going through, the hurts, the pains, is a God who sees you with nothing but love and nothing but compassion and nothing with mercy. And he's allowing you to go through certain trials right now to mold your faith and to mold your, your heart to be more after him and off of fleeting, really materialistic, surface, shallow things. God has a bigger plan for you than, than for your life to be caught up in materialism. 